Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to stand up to the storms, not because we aren't afraid, but because we trust the one who is with us. In his holy name we pray. Amen. I'm a student of humanity and of nature. And there is nothing better than people listening and people watching. Why someone does something is as important and sometimes more important than what they actually do. We're all creatures of habit. The words we use, our inflections, our mannerisms, we learned them somewhere from someone. And if we're willing to sit and listen to someone's story, we discover things that help us understand why they are, not just who they are. This past week, I attended my first non-mask event, a funeral at Punchbowl for two brothers who were killed December 7, 1941, on board the USS Oklahoma. Thanks to the hard work by Katrina's workmates, their remains were recently identified and they were able to be buried with full military honors and the family received some closure. When I arrived without thinking, I got out of my truck, I put my mask on, a proper liturgical one, just as we've all done for the last 15 months. It was only after I had spoken to the family that I realized I was the only one wearing a mask. Then came that moment of anxiety. Was it really okay not to wear a mask? Someone taking pictures? And the governor's going to show up at my house that night and hand me a COVID citation? Or is it really okay to go without a mask now? I know what the rules were. But for 15 months, it's been very different. And the sudden realization, well, it forced me to ask some deep questions. Given everything else going on in the world, the unrest in the Middle East, the civil wars in Africa, human trafficking in far too many countries to count, not to mention global hunger, severe drought, record temperatures, more shootings, I thought it was strange that what brought me a moment of anxiety was removing a mask I did not want to wear in the first place, and that for 15 months I had said I couldn't wait to get rid of, and suddenly I was reluctant to do so. Back in 1980, my family was on a windjammer sailing cruise going from Lanai to Maui. We were right on the edge of a big storm. This is 1980, one of the rare Kona storms was coming through. And whereas when we sailed over to Lanai, it was beautiful, coming back was a whole different thing. Most everyone had gone below decks to avoid the rain and the sea spray. Uh, the waves were huge and crashing over the entire boat. A lot of people were filling bags or taking turns in the bathrooms. I was on the upper deck getting soaked with the rain and the wind and the waves. There were a few crew members out there. They asked, wouldn't I rather be inside below decks? I told them I had better things to do than throw up for the next several hours. They showed me how to stay safe and they kept an eye on me as we sailed back to Lahaina. Now, I was not brave. I just didn't want to be seasick, which I knew I would be if I went below decks. The rain, the wind, and the waves all felt great, and I felt safe. I knew the crew wouldn't let me do anything too stupid because they did not want to fill out all the paperwork involved in somebody going overboard. So I wasn't anxious because they appeared to know what they were doing. I'm pretty sure they were anxious because of me, but I was not anxious because of them. What brings you anxiety? What fears do you have? 
What happens when you think somebody isn't taking something as seriously as they should? What does it take for you to get beyond that moment of anxiety? The disciples are understandably angry when Jesus doesn't seem to care that they're all about to die. How dare Jesus sleep during a storm with his head, of all things, on a cushion while everybody else is running around screaming, we're all going to die. What does it take for you to trust someone in a dangerous situation? I used to take people up Trail Ridge or up uh, Lookout Mountain in Colorado. By the way, as you're driving up on the right-hand side, um, that white line on the edge of the road, right past it is a thousand-foot drop-off. And a lot of my friends from the Midwest would say, could, could you scoot that way a little bit? You're making me nervous. Ever gone up in a little plane or out on a sailboat with a friend? Yeah, he told you he knew how to fly or she told you she knew how to sail, but you'd actually never seen them actually do it. Ever stood at the bottom of a ladder while somebody climbed up that ladder carrying a huge, heavy object? Ever handed your keys over to someone and said, go ahead, take my car? The disciples don't think Jesus is being very savior-ish. I mean, if he really came to save everyone, he obviously doesn't understand his job description since his first 12 followers are about to die. And they finally get enough nerve up to yell at him. Because even if he is God, it, he doesn't seem to understand. And this is making them not only anxious, but afraid. On a personal note, is there anybody who hasn't yelled at God? I mean, the storms come up. God doesn't seem to be paying attention, and we want to scream, don't you care about me? Do you understand what I'm going through? Whether it's the death of a loved one, the isolation of a pandemic, anxiety, or just raw human pain. At times, it does seem like God is snoring away in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, while the rest of us are all running around screaming, we're all going to die. There's a story in the Old Testament where Elijah is challenged by the prophets of Baal to a winner-take-all contest to prove who was worshiping the real God? Stories found in 1 Kings chapter 18. They stack up a bunch of wood. They place a sacrifice on top of the wood. And whichever God lights the fire first, well, they win. Elijah is a gentleman. So he says, ladies first. And the prophets of Baal go at it with everything they have, dancing and screaming, even hurting themselves, trying to get their God to light the fire. After a few hours, by the way, Elijah's over there reading a book and just kind of, you know, maybe uh, cutting his toenails. He screams at him, you know what, maybe your God is in the bathroom. You might want to shout even louder. Whenever someone tells me they aren't angry at God, even though everything in their life is falling apart, that's when I worry. Name one hero in the Bible who didn't yell at God. If you read through the Psalms, most of them have David questioning whether God understands what's happening. And then toward the end, he says, all right, you're God, I'm not, and I'm beginning to understand. God has no problem with us yelling at him, as long as we then be still and know that he is God, so that he can help us understand. Back to the text for a minute. Starts off on that day, and of course, because I'm me, I ask, what day? I believe everything in the Bible has a purpose. Every word, every nuance is trying to help us understand. And so when I hear something like, on that day, my mind says, well, there was something different about it because it was that day, not the day before and not the day after. Now, Matthew's account tells us how Jesus wound up in the boat. 
Matthew said so many people had come to hear Jesus preaching that he got pushed to the very water's edge. Unless he wanted to go for a swim or dazzle everybody by walking on the water, he had to come up with a plan B. And so he steps into a boat, and then Matthew says he sits down to preach. By the way, can you think of any pastor or prophet in the entire Bible who stands in a pulpit to preach? I mean, a pulpit like this one? I can't find one. Pulpit comes from the Latin word popultum, meaning scaffold or platform. Before technology, the pastor had to be raised up above everybody he was talking to so that his voice would carry to the very back of the church. Now in the Bible, Jesus goes up on a hill. Moses stands on a rock. Ezra stood on a wooden platform. And a couple of times, Jesus goes out into a boat. So I guess if at Our Savior we really want to be biblical, I should be preaching from a rowboat sitting down. Now, as Jesus teaches the crowds, he is both simple and deep. On the surface, there is one story. Underneath, there is so much more. He talks about a farmer planting seeds, and birds come and steal some of that seed. And it's obvious, those birds, well, they're trying to thwart the kingdom of God. Then he talks about a mustard seed that grows up into a big shrub. In fact, that shrub is so big that it has branches and leaves so that the birds of the air can come and nest in it. And that causes me to wonder, were those the same birds that stole the farmer's seed? Ooh, plot twist. All day he shared parables about the kingdom of God. And finally he says amen and everybody goes home. Everybody that is except the disciples. And Jesus says, all right, let's cross to the other side. Now the other side is the country of the Gerasenes, famous for at least two things. First, the word Gerasene means those who come from a pilgrimage or those who come from a fight. I thought that was a rather unique paradox of the word. The second. The second is the Gerasene demoniac, the one named Legion. You remember the one where all of the demons come out and go into the herd of the pigs and they go off the cliff into the lake? Yeah. Jesus heals the Gerasene demoniac, which obviously was a very big deal because Gerasene becomes an early center of Christianity as a result of that beautiful moment of healing. Now, none of that mattered to the disciples at that moment. They just knew while Jesus slept, they were the ones working, getting the boat to the other side. And when they got there, they would be greeted by people who were not Jewish, didn't eat kosher food, didn't speak Hebrew, all of which was never easy for them. But before they got there, a storm pops up. Now, whether they knew they were sailing into a storm or whether they just misjudged the timing or a storm came out of nowhere or Satan threw this storm at him expecting that he could drown all the disciples in a boating accident and make Jesus start at square one. Well, we just know that it was so bad that they all thought they were going to die. And Jesus was snoring away with his head on a cushion at the back of the boat. Now, there is the story of Job from Uz who is, the Bible says is a man of perfect integrity, who feared God and who turned away from evil. He was so righteous that he would even make a sacrifice for his children after they went to a party just in case they accidentally sinned. That, that right there, by the way, that's father of the year stuff. But in the middle of his integrity and turning away from evil, it didn't seem to matter because his children died tragically. He goes bankrupt. His body is covered with boils. His wife tells him, just curse God and die. And all of his friends gather around and say, obviously, you deserve this punishment. We just don't know what it is, but God wouldn't do this to you unless you deserved it. Please note I said, in the middle, not in the end. The disciples are probably wondering why they are following Jesus. I mean, shouldn't you get a few perks when you're best friends with God's son? 
And if Jesus really is God's son, why is he sleeping through the whole thing like he doesn't care? I mean, doesn't God check the weather report before he tells them to sail to the other side? And just because he can't die doesn't mean they can't. And they're more worried about themselves right now. Have you ever used the phrase, this kind of thing, when talking about something that has become so common that you really can't keep all of them straight? Another airplane passenger fighting over not wearing a mask. Another police officer ambushed, another police shooting of a suspect, another missile attack in response to the balloon explosives in the Middle East. Another, well, you know this kind of thing. Yeah, it's happened so many times we're used to it. So, you know, Dekine. We can label it Dekine as long as it's happening on the other side to someone else. As long as it's in Detroit, Uganda, the Middle East, California, it's okay because it's not Honolulu, Iea, Pearl City, or Kaneohe. See, that would then be us, not them. It wouldn't be Dekine if it were happening to us. It would be named because it would be very personal. On that day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. And the disciples know the other side is not their side. It's where all that Dekine stuff happens. It's where they live. No, the people who aren't us. And once Jesus was asleep, they probably started to complain about Jesus sleeping while they were doing all the work. That Jesus was making them go to the other side. I mean, why does he want us to go to the other side? Who cares about those people? And I can imagine Peter to prove that he had been paying attention during that long sermon that Jesus preached, saying something like, I can't believe he's making us go over there to the bird people. You know, the ones who steal the seed from the farmer. But I wonder if any of them remembered the other parable, the one about the mustard seed growing up so that those evil birds could find a safe place to nest. And then in a moment of time, reminiscent of old Jonah, they got out. See, they got there out. <laughs> they might not have to go to the other side because they were going to die in a storm. And Jesus is sleeping through all of it. They finally muster the courage to wake him up and they yell at him. And Jesus stands up, calms the wind and the waves and then said, Do you still have no faith? Ouch. That had to hurt. So here's my paraphrase of that event. Disciples, don't you care that we're all going to die, Jesus? Jesus. I do care. That's why I left the beauty and the perfection of heaven, was to come here to save you. Disciples, then why aren't you doing anything? Jesus, well, you are going to die, just not today. Disciples, how do you know that? Jesus, because I'm God. Besides, even if you were going to die today, it would still be okay, because I know where you're going next, and I know how you're going to get there, because that's why I'm here. The prophet Isaiah put it this way in the 41st chapter of his book. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous hand. The storms of life are a given, and we're all going to die. We need to get over those and start living. See, for the disciples, just like old Jonah, Jesus was showing them what fear was like. And they had a Savior right there in the boat with them. And they were still afraid. I mean, what was it going to be like for the Gerasenes, as an example, who didn't know the Savior, who did not have them in their boat? And even if they're those evil birds who steal the farmer's seed, the disciples have the opportunity with their faith, even if it's only the size of a mustard seed, to give them a chance to find a place of safety and peace. A place where they would begin to understand on that day meant the day they finally started to get it. The day they asked, who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him?
and in the back of their mind and in the deep recesses of their soul they knew he really was the one who could save them. You don't step out on the deck in the middle of a storm because you aren't afraid. Oh, you're afraid. You need to be afraid. But you're willing to brave the wind and the waves because you trust the one who called you to the other side where it turns out you are needed. In fact, as Ephesians says, it's where you're going to do that work that God prepared for you in advance because you were the one who he gifted to do that work. And when you get there, you get to tell those bird people, you should have seen it, the worst storm I've ever seen. I thought I was going to die. And then I saw Jesus sleeping like a baby in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And that's when I knew it was all going to be okay. Because if he isn't worried, I don't need to be worried. And that's when I dared the storm to do its worst. And I began to sing the praises to my God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.